I halted government mandates that crippled America's great, beautiful auto workers so that we can get Motor City revving its engines again. And that's what's happening. Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, thanks for tuning in. That, of course, was the president of the United States, Donald Trump, talking last night about the State of the Union. And he talked about us as Detroit, our main industry here, the auto industry, claimed credit for getting the auto industry going again. He says there in that clip, through relaxing regulations, says he's making America great again by making autos great again here in Detroit. It was one of several, several claims uh, that the president made during his more than hour-long speech. Uh, it was predictably long on bravado, on fallacy, bipartisanship, and partisanship all at the same time. Trump touted what he sees as his major accomplishments in his first year as president, Although his language was toned down and with a sense of unity compared to his daily Twitter proclamations, he also somehow managed to be deeply offensive at times during the speech. There was something really for just about everyone in the president's address. We're going to spend a good part of the show today talking about that address, talking about the various parts of it. A little later in the show, we are also going to talk about uh, the EPA under the Trump administration and get to some of the things that the president said that will have an effect on environmental policy and consequence here in the United States. Of course, all hour, we also want to hear from you about what you thought about President Trump's first State of the Union speech. Uh, how did you how did you take it in? Uh, did you did you last the whole time? Uh, did you make uh, through the entire speech? Uh, were there things he said that made you feel better about his presidency and his agenda? Or were there things that made you feel worse about our prospects? We want to hear all of it. Uh, the number on the phones, as always, is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put your comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. Uh, and we will work you into the conversation. Uh, joining us up front to talk about the president's speech is Tim Alberta. He's a reporter and feature writer for Politico magazine, pays very close attention to politics there in Washington. Tim, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning, Stephen. Thanks yeah. for having me. Yeah. Um, so let's start with this. Was there anything that the president said or did during his State of the Union address last night that you didn't expect something that maybe surprised you as uh, somebody who watches this presidency quite closely. Boy, that's a good question, and I would have to say not really. I, I think what you said at the outset is exactly right, that there was sort of something for everyone, and it was a choose-your-own-adventure type of night. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, uh, by the time it was done, You've got Trump loyalists praising the president. You've got Trump's critics uh, finding something that they didn't like. And ultimately, at the end of the day, uh, I, I feel like the, the overarching analysis for anyone should be that this is President Trump on a teleprompter delivering a carefully and tightly scripted 
speech in really what is a bit of presidential stagecraft that we see every January or February. So uh, with the presidential address to Congress, if you recall last year, uh, the president, after a a turbulent first uh, month or so on the job, gave his first address to a a joint session of Congress, and it was a real moment for him. And and there were lots of big applause lines and a couple of very emotional moments with the widow of a a slain Navy SEAL, Mm -hmm. and he got you know, great remarks all across the board. And within 24 hours, he had gone way off message on his Twitter feed and had, you know, sort of rekindled the, you know, hyperpartisanship that had consumed his administration up until that point. So all of which is just to say that uh, whatever people liked or didn't like last night, it's going to be fleeting, if for no other reason than the fact that that Washington, D.C. has three or four major, major issues on its plate that it needs to resolve in the next couple of weeks here, and there's no sign whatsoever of progress. So uh, even if the White House is feeling very good this morning, I think there's a bit of a pit in their collective stomachs understanding that there's a gauntlet out in front of them now. Yeah. Uh, So let's talk about those issues that are on the agenda, some of them quite urgent in Washington because of uh, the the, the budget and and, uh, its relation to some of these issues. Did the president move the needle at all on any of those issues? And and I want to start with the question of immigration. There's been a deadlock in Washington for a while over a deal to deal with uh, dreamers, uh, young people who were brought here uh, as children. Uh, there's been hints that we might get to a larger deal on immigration uh, between the two parties. Did the president get us closer to a resolution to that last night with his with his speech? He had four pillars that he wanted to lay out in terms of immigration, or did he move us further and dig in deeper uh, against the Democrats? It's a good question, and I'm genuinely torn uh, over uh, the two answers that I have for you, because on the one hand, Stephen, I was really struck last night by how when the president announced the first pillar, which was a path to citizenship for 1.8 million undocumented immigrants, uh, and all of them young, people who were brought here by their parents uh, unwittingly as minors. And that line received zero standing ovation Mm -hmm. from either side of the aisle, Mm -hmm. which was very peculiar because there there were uh, very few things, actually, that Republicans did not applaud. And of all of the things that you would think Democrats would have standed to applaud, it would be a Republican president announcing for the very first time, mind you, because Trump has been under fire for the last couple of months because he's essentially been seen as playing games on DACA, that one day he'll say something to one group, the next day he'll say something else, and nobody has really been able to nail down, okay, what is he actually endorsing, what is he really in favor of? And Republicans especially have been waiting because they need political cover from the White House if they're going to stick their neck out on the line and be supporting of of what the base would view as amnesty. So for the president to say that this is specifically what he is in favor of, starting with a path to citizenship, not just legal status, but citizenship for 1.8 million illegal immigrants, you would have thought that Democrats would have jumped out of their seat, even though they didn't like the other three pillars. Uh, I thought it was very strange Hmm. that there was very little enthusiasm in the chamber specifically for that. And I think it speaks to, on the one hand, how Democrats don't trust the president, and they also didn't like the other three pillars, and how Republicans hate the first pillar but love the last three. And so that, I think, in and of itself, that that moment crystallized sort of speaks to how incredibly difficult it's going to be to thread this needle. So on the one hand, I think it's 
a sign of progress that Trump was willing in front of a national audience to actually say, I support this path to citizenship. But on the other hand, I think the response to it spoke volumes about, uh, you know, uh, especially with the condensed timeline that Congress and the White House have to work in now, boy, it's just very difficult to see how, how this gets across the finish line. Yeah. Uh, I also want to address some of the things that, uh, some of the claims that the president made, uh, he, he talked about wage stagnation turning around and said that we are finally starting to see wages go up. He claimed credit for that turn. Um, uh, w- what's the truth about that? And and was the president was the president uh, beating his chest a little too much uh, over 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 that turn? Yeah. Well, I think with with wages as with unemployment, as with any number of other economic indicators, these were things that, if, if we're being fair, that first and foremost, uh, that President Trump spent you know, a year and a half on the campaign trail deriding uh, or, or dismissing all of these various metrics as, as fake and unreliable and manipulated by the government. So to suddenly step in and point to all of these same uh, indicators and, and use them as you know, quantitative evidence of his presidency's success is, is disingenuous in the least, uh, to, to, to say the least. Um, I also think, obviously, you have a lot of Democrats, most notably uh, at the moment when the president claimed success uh, or claimed credit last night for a, an all-time low in black unemployment, uh, and you saw the Congressional Black Caucus not getting up from their seats uh, and applauding that. I think that the obvious explanation is they feel as though after Donald Trump spent, again, a year and a half on the campaign trail uh, belittling President Obama and and, uh, saying that he had done nothing and delivered nothing for the black community. Traditionally, you know, you do not see an incoming president take credit for the economy Mm -hmm. in his first year. Mm -hmm. There is, uh, you know, almost universal consensus among economists that that there is, in fact, some sort of a lagging indicator that would owe to economic policies from a previous administration and from, you know, more broadly outside of the political lens, just economic trends that no president can dictate in such a short period of time. So I think on any number of these different things, it was certainly smart for the president to take advantage of the economy because all the public polling indicates that it is the one area that people are happy with him about. They see the stock market rising. They see unemployment going down. It feels as though the job market is really rebounding. But as with so many things uh, with this president, there is often much more uh, you know, than meets the eye or than meets the initial rhetoric. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, uh, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones uh, to join the conversation here on Detroit Today. We're talking about Donald Trump's first State of the Union address delivered last night in Washington to a joint session of Congress, did you watch the speech? Did you respond positively or negatively to anything that the president said? Was there thing, were there things in the speech that you didn't expect? Were there things in the speech that made you think maybe differently about this president and his agenda? Again, 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work you into the conversation. Let's go to Joanne in Lake Orion. Joanne, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you so much. Sure. Go ahead. Well, when I watched last night, I was really disappointed in members of the Congress who did not attend the speech. Um, I think Judge uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg did not attend. I don't think they were doing their duty 
um, this is a communication. They've been elected to office, and it doesn't matter if they agree or disagree. I thought they should have attended. Also, I was really disappointed in the reaction from the Democrats and the Black Caucus. Um, President Trump talked about numerous heroes that were in the audience, and they missed the chance to cheer those heroes on. He also talked about the low unemployment rate and from somebody from Michigan, where we led the nation with an 18% unemployment rate, I cheered on my couch when we heard about the low unemployment rate. He does deserve credit for that. And it doesn't matter if they cheer for President Trump. They should have cheered for their fellow Americans. Yeah, so Joanne, a couple things. Uh, I appreciate the call and the comments. Number one, uh, Supreme Court justices sometimes go to the State of the Union, sometimes don't. I believe we had four of the justices there last night, which means that the majority of the court was not there. You're right that Justice Ginsburg was among those uh, who weren't there, but so was Justice Thomas uh, and and several others. Uh, also, um, uh, this question of who stands for for which lines in the speech, I think, is really interesting and uh, uh, we saw a lot of opportunities last night for people to stand up and cheer good stories that the president was telling about uh, people here in America. I'm not sure I saw the Black Caucus not stand for the heroes he was pointing out uh, in, in, the, in the chamber. Uh, I think that's something we can ask Tim Alberta uh, about uh, because he was there. Talk about the, the standing and clapping uh, and when it happened and when it didn't and what it shows about the sort of partisan nature, I guess, of these speeches. Sure. Well, again, I think it's important to realize that all of this is theater, and 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 people come into the chamber, uh, you know, with with certain expectations. And really, it's always interesting to watch the minority party kind of squirm in their seats and glance around and talk amongst themselves. You know, do we stand? Do we not stand? Do we clap? Do we not clap? Um, there's always a little bit of that communication. Like, f- for instance, when the president said the line about the Motor City revving its engines again, mm-hmm. from what I saw, uh, Debbie Dingell, the congresswoman, uh, applauded and, and stood up. And Debbie Stabenow, the senator, was sort of glancing around, and I think she mouthed to some other uh, a reporter friend of mine, said that she had mouthed to some of her colleagues, what is he talking about? Yeah. Um, so <laughs> just, as, just as sort of a neat encapsulation of how strange the, the stagecraft always is in these instances, I do think, Stephen, from kind of a, you know, just a bird's eye perspective, there were some moments where it was strange to see Democrats staying seated, and it speaks to again, kind of the hyper-partisan atmosphere in Washington right now. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the earliest lines in the night that's always kind of a staple in a State of the Union, Union address is when the president says some variation of the state of our union is strong. And when President Trump said it last night, he said uh, the state of our union is strong because our people are strong. Mm-hmm. I believe that was, that was the quote. And uh, that would be in 99.9% of, of the annals of presidential history, that would be a line that everybody would stand up and applaud for. But very few Democrats stood. And that just struck me as bizarre. Uh, you know, the, again, understanding uh, the vitriol that exists in D.C. right now and the distrust that Democrats have of the president, uh, you would still think that generically speaking, that would be a line that would get people off their seats. Uh, and there were a few of those last night. But again, uh, it's just uh, I don't read a whole lot into that. And maybe folks at home do. Yeah. Uh, before I let you go, Tim, I want to get your reaction to uh, Joe Kennedy, who delivered the Democratic response to the State of the Union address. Very pointed uh, response, more pointed maybe than, than we're used to, to seeing. 
Was that effective? Uh, and is it a sign of the pushback that may be coming from Democrats to the policy agenda that the president laid out? Yeah, I, I actually I thought it was pretty effective. I thought on, on content and on substance, it was it was pretty darn good. I thought on style, it was not very good. Um, uh, the 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 lip sweat or uh, or generous use of chapstick, whatever it was, uh, was I think kind of set the internet ablaze and was sort of distracting the folks at home. I also think that what we saw, and this has been pointed out also, and it's a really smart point that uh, Joe Kennedy's uh, style. And, you know, both verbal and nonverbal was so intentionally tracking that of Barack Obama that you're seeing this whole new generation of young Democrats now trying to, like, jab a finger when they are accentuating a point in a very Obama-esque way. And, of course, Joe Kennedy is not Obama. But I thought that given the pressure that's on someone to deliver the response, much less somebody with the last name Kennedy who has these great dynastic expectations, that all things considered, he did pretty well. But the but the staging of that speech and some of the stylistic points, I think, were a bit distracting and probably took away from what I thought substantively was a pretty good speech. Yeah. Okay, Tim Alberta, reporter and feature writer for Politico Magazine. As always, thanks for being here on Detroit Today. My pleasure. Uh, one of the more notable parts of Trump's first State of the Union was his focus on immigration, of course, and efforts to reach a deal on border security and DACA. Trump was booed by Democrats when he brought up the issue of what he calls chain migration. Under the current broken system, a single immigrant can bring in virtually unlimited numbers of distant relatives. Under our plan, we focus on the immediate family by limiting sponsorships to spouses and minor children. Here to talk about what Trump had to say about immigration is Sheikha Dalmia, senior analyst for the Reason Foundation and columnist for the week, and also an immigrant herself. Sheikha, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me, Stephen. Yeah. So I, I, th- I think uh, the, the further we get into this administration, the more clues and signs we get that their real objection is not to illegal immigration itself, but to the nature of immigration, to the consequence of immigration in terms of uh, cultural change here in America. And what they're proposing is a return to a time when uh, when race, when uh, ethnic background, when all of these things that, that we cannot use to determine who comes here and who doesn't, uh, makes a return to the, the to the policy imperatives that we have. In other words, that we start thinking again about where people are from uh, and what they are like culturally when they immigrate. That, to me, is a really scary prospect. And uh, I think uh, the, the the bridge that they're trying to draw between uh, you know pushing back against illegal immigration and legal immigration is a really, really dangerous one. Uh, Yeah, I completely agree with that, Stephen. So what was stunning to me about the speech was that uh, I can't really recall a 
previous State of the Union address in, you know, living memory, when uh, the contributions of immigrants were not hailed in some way, shape or fashion, right? I mean, this is the land of immigrants. Mm -hmm. And it is almost a requirement that, you know, you, if you're going to talk about immigration, you start off by praising the contributions that immigrants have made to this country. There was none of that in this, uh, you know, State of the Union. Um, the whole optics of uh, it was, uh, you know, all calculated, both the optics and the substance were calculated to demonize immigration in some shape, way, shape or form. Uh, you know, the distinction that the Republicans used to make between legal and illegal immigration is all gone. It is all open season against immigrants of all types now. And uh, so the GOP is now entirely the party of nativism, uh, mm -hmm. you know, as far as I can tell. And specifically Trump's comments about chain migration, you know, they were just patent lies. Right. There's just no other way to put it. I mean, chain migration does not work that way. Nobody gets the right uh, to invite whoever they want. Citizens don't get that right, let alone immigrants. Uh, you know, to invite whoever they want into the country. The way chain migration works is that you can, uh, you know, your immediate family members, nuclear family members, that's quite easy to get them in here. Uh, you know, that includes um, your uh, spouse and your minor children and your parents, actually. It's not that hard. Other than that, if you want to get your uh, adult children or if you want to get your siblings, the wait times are you know, can sometimes be over 20 years, by right. which time most people are middle-aged and don't want to come anyway. And uh, let me also point out that had it not been for chain migration, which, you know, loosely speaking is that, you know, you get a, you have a family member in America who then becomes a magnet for another family member, you know, that mm -hmm. there is less chain migration now than when Donald Trump's grandfather came into this country to meet up with his older sister who was already here. So Donald Trump himself is the product of chain migration. And for him to spread such patent lies about it, I mean, I, you know, and you could hear the Democrats chortle when he, you know, uh -huh. made that comment about they can bring unlimited, uh, you know, relatives in the country. And they were right about that. And, you know, I'm not a Democrat. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> it was, you know, a pretty, uh, it was a pretty sorry performance. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, this this trade-off that he is proposing, uh, the idea that you could uh, find a path for, to citizenship for the 1.8 million so-called dreamers uh, and at the same time uh, embrace border security, I think I think one of the things that he's not really saying out loud or or has not said as 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 much out loud is this, this change to legal immigration that 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 sort of lurks lurks in the back, and uh, we're now starting to see some of the details leak out in terms of how they would like to reframe it. Uh, that that seems a, a terrible bargain for anyone to make. In other words, uh, yes, it's it's very important that we deal with these uh, these dreamers who who don't know another country other than the United States and and shouldn't be sent away, but trading. Uh, trading that for a reframing of immigration itself just seems uh, just too steep a bargain for anyone 
to indulge. Right. No, uh, you know, the way I have actually put it in some of my columns is that, uh, you know, he's presenting a Sophie's choice on, uh, on immigration, right? Um, he wants to, uh, he wants the country to pick that either you can legalize dreamers, uh, or you can keep, uh, welcoming immigrants, but you can't have both. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the plan that he has is, you know, what, uh, they have done is very cleverly rebrand what the Republican Party used to call family reunification as chain migration, right? And then he wants to cut uh, family reunification essentially by 40%. At the same time, he talks about creating a merit-based system, Mm -hmm. except that he is not proposing any increases in, you know, skills-based immigration in this country. So his definition of merit-based is let's cut family immigration by 40%, and then, you know, that'll up the quota of uh, high-skilled immigration, and bingo, we'll have uh, high-skilled immigration. I mean, that's kind of what, you know, and it is, I mean, it's just, uh, you know, beyond a lie. I mean, I, you know, one doesn't know how to characterize it, but this is, you know, not going to fly. He's proposing cuts in legal immigration in order to legalize dreamers, and legalization of dreamers is great, but cuts in legal immigration um, are just poison pills. Yeah. Uh, and and to make his point about illegal immigration last night, one of the things that he did was highlight this these families uh, whose daughters were killed uh, by members of the MS-13 gang. I thought that was a particularly morally low point in the in the speech, that kind of manipulation to try to paint uh, a picture of immigration in this country that I don't think is particularly accurate. Right. I mean, (laughs) you know, it was very interesting. I mean, that was just pure demagoguery on his part, right, to parade these people who have been victims of uh, MS-13 violence. This was a group that no American had even heard of till Trump came on the scene because it is so marginal. Uh, you know, uh, uh, people die of violence, all, all, uh, all kinds of other violence in this country, uh, you know, all the time. And for him to cherry pick, you know, this one group and this one set of victims, you know, was just pure demagoguery. And let me just say, you know, to the point about, you know, how uh, there is nothing good he ever says about immigrants. In the recent, uh, uh, you know, fire in the Bronx building that made national headlines, yes. a Ghana soldier from one of those countries that he likes to berate, uh, from Ghana, gave up his life mm-hmm. to try and pull out one more American citizen from a burning building. That deserved a line, if not, you know, a whole paragraph in his State of the Union speech. But we didn't see that because of what you are saying, which is that, you know, this is an agenda, uh, a nativist agenda, which is designed to cleanse the country of, you know, certain uh, racial categories. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, so that's what he is doing. He's systematically playing up you know, the contributions of, uh, you you know, citizens who are of a certain hue and certain systematically playing up the, you know, the negative side of people who are of a different race. I mean, I really don't know how else to characterize this. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Sheikha Dalmia, Senior Analyst for the Reason Foundation, columnist for the week. Thanks, as always, for joining us on Detroit Today. Thank you. 
Up next, we are going to get Republican Evan McMullen's reaction to the State of the Union and talk about the thing that Trump didn't talk about in his speech, the FBI. Stay with us on Detroit Today. Your city. Your town. Your voice. 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station. This, in fact, is our new American moment. There has never been a better time to start living the American dream. So to every citizen watching at home tonight, no matter where you've been or where you've come from, this is your time. If you work hard, if you believe in yourself, if you believe in America, then you can dream anything. You can be anything. And together, we can achieve absolutely anything. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. That was the President of the United States talking about the American dream, how intact, how powerful he still finds it during his state of the Union speech last night. We are talking about his speech and the reactions to it today, as always. If you want to join the conversation, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. You can go to the WDET Facebook page as well, put comments there, or go to Twitter, and hashtag Detroit Today will work you into the conversation. And joining us now to talk more about the president's speech, what he said, and some of what he didn't say, is Evan McMullen, a former CIA operations officer and an independent candidate for president in 2016, former chief policy director for the House Republican conference. Evan McMullen, welcome to Detroit Today. Great to be with you, Stephen. Thanks for having me. Uh, So I want to get you to react to that line we just heard from President Trump. It was one of the more uh, it was one of the more unifying lines, I guess we would we might call it in the speech. It contrasted with some other things he said I thought were divisive. But but on the whole, did you see this as a speech that was uh, aimed at bringing people together, reaching across uh, our differences, or was it was it more divisive than it needed to be? Well, I think in some, looking back on it, it was the latter, but I don't think that's, that's a surprise. I mean, I think that's what we've learned to expect from President Trump. I, I did think, though, that the speech started off uh, pretty well. I mean, it was more of a speech that you would expect from an American president, uh, at least a Republican president. Uh, he was, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, celebrating some, some successes, some good things happening in the country, you know, some, uh, positive trends economically, that sort of thing, talking about opportunity uh, for all Americans. Uh, that was all good. I, I, you know, I thought he mostly stuck to, to a stable. Um, I also thought some of the people he highlighted uh, in, you know, in the, the balcony there um, were, you know, great Americans. People have done great things. The officer who adopted the, the young uh, child uh, of, of the homeless mother who was mm-hmm. struggling with heroin addiction, or the North Korean, uh, Ji Sung-il, who, uh, the double, double amputee who escaped North Korea and who now helps others do the same. I mean, there, there were these positive things there. But in the end, the, the president turned back towards, um, you know, amid that positivity, turned back towards uh, you know, signaling to white nationalists and to nativists and uh, and also sort of foreshadowing, I, I think, 
uh, more attacks on um, on on government officials mm-hmm. who are doing their jobs, especially law enforcement officers. And of course, all of that's very troubling. Yeah. Uh, you have been uh, pretty active on social media talking about the turmoil that uh, this administration has caused in the law enforcement community. We recently saw Deputy FBI Director Andrew McCabe step down after months of pressure and criticism from the Trump administration. We didn't hear anything from the president about that last night. I guess that's not a surprise, but this does lurk in the background of everything that he's doing. Well, absolutely. And that was sort of the elephant in the room that just wasn't addressed, which is that the president is uh, and his team are under uh, a very serious investigation uh, by the special counsel and also by, by Congress. Um, but uh, but he just didn't mention that at all. I suppose that that's not surprising, although President Nixon in his equivalent State of the Union speech uh, mentioned uh, the investigation into him, the allegations related to Watergate into him, vowing not to, to step down at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, the president didn't mention it. But I will say that he did he did say, he did say, you know, uh, you know, we need to be able to, quote, remove federal employees who undermine the public trust and fail the American people. And he's saying that, of course, at a time when he's pushing out members of the law enforcement community, members of the Justice uh, Department, uh, officials in the Justice Department who are involved in holding him accountable, holding him to account under the law, uh, responsible for the investigation, uh, responsible for upholding the rule of law in in the country, and this is highly troubling. And it's something that I saw overseas as a as a Central Intelligence Agency officer. When strong men or authoritarians come to power, uh, they they are invariably deeply corrupt. They've committed to corruption to empower and enrich themselves, and that that uh, naturally puts them at odds with. Um, with the law enforcement community. And, and let me just say that the law enforcement community is not perfect right. because it's full of human beings that are, and all of, none of us are perfect. So people make mistakes. Um, but that's why there are checks and balances, even within our judicial process processes that, that uh, take that into account. And even then we don't have a perfect system, but, but I maintain that, that most people in our FBI, for example, and in the Department of Justice act in good faith and with integrity, and we can always make improvements. But what Trump is trying to do is zero in on mistakes that people may have made and, and weave them into tapestries of con- conspiracy theory scams and then use those to push people out of office or push people out of fire people as he did to director did with director Comey yeah. or demote people or reassign them and that amounts to the kind of purges of law of law enforcement that I saw overseas and that I I frankly believe uh, is now happening here yeah uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number. On the phones, got a lot of folks who want to participate this morning. Joanne in Plymouth, welcome to Detroit Today. Oh, hi. Mm-hmm. Yes, I do I do agree with we um, your former um, person said but uh, about the law enforcement and so forth. But at the beginning of this of his speech, he said the country was so optimistic. Well, if you looked at all the women marchers from both last year and this year, and that wasn't just women, all the marchers, sure. they are certainly not optimistic about the president, but they are op- optimistic about our chances of making change with what's happening now. 
So his optimism, his optimism, the optimism is not directed towards him. Mm-hmm. And um, he does speak about out of both sides of his mouth about immigration. You know, he talks about the Dreamers, but then he talks about how they're all criminals right. and <laughs> right. people not having talent and so forth. Yeah. So yeah. I thought, you know, He's been very difficult to listen to for a long time. Uh, Joanne, I think that's a really important distinction you're drawing there about optimism. Uh, Optimism about the president or the presidency versus optimism about uh, the country or the chance to change some of the things uh, that are going on in the the country. It's it's sort of an elegant way to to, to describe that tension. Um, You know, Evan McMullen, I wonder what that distinction means for public trust in our American institutions. That's one of the things I think people are very worried about is uh, that that Trump's uh, uh, sort of appropriation of, of this mantle of patriotism at the same time that he does things that undermine these institutions then, you know, has the potential effect of undermining public trust in those institutions as well. Yeah, that's right. And I think jo- Joanna makes a, uh, or Joanne, sorry, if I got the name yeah. correct, but she, she makes an, an excellent point. And that is, you know, look, there, and I will say there is optimism in the country now. I mean, the, you know, not everyone invests in the stock market, but the stock market's doing well. Employment's at, uh, unemployment's at, at, at record low levels. That, I don't think those figures tell the whole story because there's still many people who are struggling. Many people, far too many people, in fact. Um, but consumer confidence is high. All of, you know, so there are things there are things to be happy about. But what Trump tries to do is, is say, okay, because the economy is doing better now, therefore uh, what I'm doing is correct, and that's just not right. And and you know there may be optimism around um, uh, around things economically uh, more so than there was, you know, say you know seven years ago or, or so. Um, people may also be optimistic because they believe they're going to bring further change to the to the government in 2018. Um, but what we have to learn to do is differentiate between, you know, uh, economic success and and the health of our institutions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What I see happening now is an economy that is recovering uh, from the Great Recession, uh, although there's still work to be done and many people who are being left behind. Um, but we have to be able to say, okay, yes, uh, we're making progress there. We need to do even better. Um, but at the same time, our institutions are very much under attack by this president. And even if the economy was doing perfectly and everyone was, you know, everyone's needs were perfectly being met by by our economy, uh, we would still need to oppose a president who are t- who attacked our institutions. And some people may say, well, why bother? Well. I would say, look, in China, where people have essentially no freedom, right. um, when push comes to shove, uh, they've been experiencing very high growth for a number of years. Uh, eventually, though, I, I, I do believe that our freedom and our prosperity and, of course, security are, are, uh, are, are together. These are, they're, in the, they're, they're, they're part and parcel of the same thing. Our economic prosperity has come from our, our freedoms. And uh, in the long term, if we have a government that deprives the people of their uh, of their most basic rights, uh, and that, that heads down a nativist, uh, xenophobic path, for example, uh, our economy will not continue to thrive. So um, we need to make sure that that we are able to uh, see the good that is happening, 
um, but also understand that other things that are happening that this president is doing to our ideals, norms, and institutions are highly dangerous and, yeah. and in the end will do great harm to our basic rights, but also to our economy. Yeah. Okay, Evan McMullen, former CIA operations officer, independent candidate for president in 2016, and former chief policy director for the House Republican Conference. Thanks very much for joining us on Detroit Today. Up next, we're going to talk about the future of a department that Donald Trump seems really interested in dismantling, the EPA. Stay with us on Detroit Today.